Welcome to Crushgasm, the podcast dedicated to the highs and lows of crushes. From their first to their worst, we're going to cover them all with a cascade of characters, including our guest today, a self-proclaimed insane dog person, Bruce Naxon, an actor, producer, and podcaster who is here to talk not only about his shows, The Fittest Fat Kid You Know, and Fails, Falls, and F-Ups, but also a crush that sexually awoke him kind of helped him believe in himself a little bit more. Bruce, how are you? My God, I am insane and a dog person. It all works out just fine. I'm <laughs> great, Kendra. How are you? I'm doing great. I mean, like yourself, I too was a fat kid. And I mean, well, I think there is a lot that can impact our childhood. There's like nothing quite like being the biggest kid on the playground. And you even noted that You're always going to be that 280-pound 11-year-old. Why do you think that even when we lose that weight, we still carry that, like, trauma? I think trauma as a child just sticks with us. We don't have the... We don't have the defenses and the mental wherewithal to deal with things that... So when it happens to you when you're young, it scars you and sticks with you in a way that when it happens to you in your late 20s, early 30s or whatnot, you can brush those things off in a way that as an 11 year old, it defines you. So for me, being told that I was hideous, ugly, worthless, not just by kids, mind you, which not to say that would be good. It's understandable when kids do that to you, but there were a lot of adults in my neighborhood who did that to me as well. And so that's stuck and it always sticks. I I wish it didn't, but it does. I think adults back in the day were a lot more harsh than they are now. They will they would straight up tell a kid. I mean, even my own parents were like, oh, she's gaining weight. She's gaining weight. She's a big girl. And it's like thinking back, it's like, was that the best way to go about parenting? I think it was a crueler time. I certainly do. <laughs> certainly where I lived and the people I was around, they were a bunch of pricks. Certainly the adults were. As a kid, I I did not like many of them. My mother was wonderful. I have to say that my mother really tried to instill in me a sense that I could do whatever I would like and I had the capacity to tackle anything as long as I put my mind to it. And whether that's true or not, that doesn't change the fact that that gave me a lot of confidence in a way that um, very few other things has. But a lot of the adults in my neighborhood, I, I hate to admit that News of them being in a car accident probably would not hurt my heart too much. I mean, well, some bad people gotta go. So, because we're going to talk about your sexual awakening crush, I do want to touch on what it means to be a fat kid and then go through puberty because the hormones are going to be there but and the regular insecurities that come with adolescence but do you feel there was like an extra level of resistance towards your budding sexuality at that age because in the back of your head you didn't feel like larger people were desirable puberty much like being 280 pounds at 11 years old puberty decided to knock on my door roughly around the same time it was a weird thing because you know i became aware of these desires and uh i sort of at at this time and even a little bit before it had developed a thing for bigger boobs so the idea of arousal was happening the idea that i wasn't worthy of having arousal it was more of a matter of not knowing what to do with it and to make matters worse i had nobody to talk to There, there was nobody for me to go to and say hey these weird feelings are happening and what are they and what do i do with them And what is this new thing that happens if I get too excited? How do I cope with that? My father died when I was eight years old and none of the adult relatives 
adult male relatives in my family wanted to be bothered with me for the most part. Uh, I had an uncle and they were interested in my little brother, but they weren't that interested in me. I had another uncle who vanished when my father passed away because I found out later that his family was afraid that we might need shoes and they'd feel bad if we did. So puberty hits and I got nothing. I don't know what to do, but I don't know if it at the time it blocked down this like sense of like, should I be going through this or not? You know, I think I dealt with it just like every other like 11 year old who had access to one or two dirty magazines. You know, you sort of self-discover for what that's worth. Uh, but what the weight certainly did do is it brought on a crippling shyness. And there were lots and lots of repercussions to that, that to some degree, my apparent extrovertedness now is still a result of. I still deal with the shyness and introvertedness that was ground into me in the formative years. So it wasn't so much of a sexual thing, nearly as much as it was a self-image and um, a, a social barrier thing for me. I think because you all, you said there was no one to talk to in your family and, and in school probably, but also there was no one really to see in like pop culture as well. Do you think that impacted? Cause I remember when I was growing up, there was a lack of not just black women, but also bigger girls on teen shows. And that made me a little like more self-conscious and for even males, I think it's even less so. So do you think that impacted and made you more shy? Cause it's like, well, look at the kids of 90210. They don't look like me or look at the kids in this show. They don't look like me. Oh no. I mean, nobody looked like me. And it was really, really hard. But I, I, you know, I don't know that it would have been helpful to see, because when they, when there started to be representation, for the most part, the characters were presented as the uh, funny neighbor. So even when representation began happening, it wasn't positive. It wasn't helpful. Now we live in a world where there's the body positivity movement, which I have to admit. But because right now I'm on the heavier side, my fitness journey is it has its ups and downs and it's has been on a little bit of a down thing for me at the moment. And in fact, my next episode of the podcast, uh, Fittest Fat Kid, is me talking to a friend about the slips I've made and my current desire to fix those slips. Uh, the point, though, is back in like the 80s and 90s, there was no positive representation of somebody who was heavy. So that was kind of hard. But what really, more than anything else, again, not to sound like the broken record, it was the parents in my neighborhood that would use me as an example as to why their kids were so pretty or so nice or so whatever else. And I was who they would laugh at. I eventually developed defenses against these people because they also tended to be dumb and ignorant. And at the time, um, and also to some degree religious. So when I got into heavier music and the iconography around the heavier music, even though I, I didn't believe any of that stuff, I was able to leverage that and make these people very much afraid to talk to me. Oh, so did you go like a metalhead brew? Yeah, I used to have like really long hair and uh, considering my froey, like I, I I suffer from terminal Jufro, so I can have short hair or I can have really long hair, but I don't have an in-between that is in any way, shape or form controllable. So I, I basically keep my hair short these days, but I used to have like luxurious curly long hair. And I also, I've always been 
clever to some degree. So I, when I got into the music and I discovered some of the people around me, some of these people used to torture me, were afraid of the music, I just tripled down. And then I also began doing things like I had one particular neighbor who was exceptionally cruel. Ultimately, not because of me, but because of my little brother, when I began making money, I had to convince my mother for, to allow me to help us move from where we lived for his safety because um, she did, she was constantly on him for various things, not the least of which is she had a friend of a friend uh, talking about race relations. In Northeast Philadelphia, there were not a lot of mixed couples in the early to mid-90s. And my brother had a friend who happened to have his mother had separated from his father and remarried, and she was a white woman to a black man. They were police officers. They also were lovely people. But where they lived... That sort of thing just don't done happen. And one day, a bunch of what would it be described as nice Catholic boys who were a little bit inebriated turned up on their front lawn while my my brother's friend and a couple of his other friends, my brother wasn't there and that's important. She these guys turned up with bats and began threatening them and saying things that you don't say in polite conversation, and you definitely don't say unless you've got very specific views of things like race relations. And at, finally to the point where one of them, and I'm not sure whether it was my brother's friend, Mike's mother, or her husband, had to get out their gun. Oh my God. And these guys got arrested and they were going to go to jail because they were absolutely dead to rights. What ended up happening is my neighbor, and let's call her Peggy, because that was her name. Peggy <laughs> came to my brother because she heard that my brother's friend, Mike, and his friend were there in witnesses against this person. And she got a hold of my little brother. My little brother was heavy and he also had high blood pressure. And he was 12 at this time. And Peggy ca began calling him all these different names, some of which was based on our religion, and that he's a liar and that he is a bastard and all of these things because he was lying about her friend's son, this wonderful human being who turned up on this guy's front lawn with a bat simply because he didn't like the idea of them being a mixed couple. Well, cruel neighbors aside, let's get to this crush. Yes. Because she was a, a good neighbor. She lived in an apartment right behind you. We're referring yes. to her as Dawn. Do you remember the first time you saw Dawn? Is it like a memory you have like locked in your brain? So here I am. I am about somewhere about 13 or 14. Now I've begun losing weight. I'm no longer 270 pounds, but I am heavy and but I'm not that heavy, but I'm also cripplingly shy. At this point of my life, I, I'm not in school anymore. I don't really know that many girls. And even if I knew them, that wouldn't have helped because I couldn't talk to them. If there was more than two or three guys, I couldn't talk to them. And now uh, in this apartment complex and how the apartment complex was set up, it was like these clusters of buildings. There were like three buildings in semicircle clusters and they were, they were separated by these parking lots. So um, between my cluster and my back window looked to the back of her building, there was the parking lot. And there in that parking lot was an IROC Z, a muscle car in beautiful condition. The owner of this IROC Z was Dawn. And Dawn was beautiful. I mean, 
stunningly beautiful. Again, I'm 13 or 14 years old. I don't know how old she is, but she is old enough to own an Iroxy and have a job. She has long black hair. She has flawless skin. She is hourglass shaped. She looks like something out of a magazine to my eyes. And I've seen her outside of my back window. Now I didn't stalk her, stare at her or anything like that, but you know, you see somebody like that and you look at them. So I, I, I was aware of her. The first time I ever had to speak to her, I was forced to speak to her. My brother, who was five years younger than me, so that makes my brother at this point eight or nine. He's there with all of his friends and there's like four or five kids in the neighborhood. They're all running around together. Well, one day I'm coming home from somewhere. We lived near this big shopping mall, strip mall with grocery store and, and various things. You could find anything there. My mother actually worked there at a place that they called the PX, which was like a, a proto convenience store. I was coming back from something and my brother, I, I, I round the corner and just standing there is Dawn talking to my brother and three of his friends. And she's just there chatting friendly and being nice. That's one of the things I want to emphasize about this girl. Not only was she beautiful, but more importantly, she was just a lovely human being. She had all the time in the world to talk to these kids who would just sit there and talk to them. And she'd be friendly. She didn't talk down to them and she'd have conversations. My brother calls me over. So what I can't do is what I would normally have done if she was just there, which is I would have intentionally not seen her. And instead of kind of going through the back door, which would have angled me closer to her, I would have kind of hung further out into the street, the, the, the like the circle street that the apartments were arranged around and sort of just avoided her. I, she wouldn't really have noticed me. I wouldn't have seen her, but no, I've been called over. So I go over and by this point, I had become like a good brother to him and I'd play with them and I'd mess around with them and I'd joke around with them. So they thought I was funny. They thought I was nice. And they wanted me to meet Dawn. So there I am trying numerous things at once. One, <laughs> I don't want to stare up and down her as much as I want to stare up and down her. She's gorgeous. She's beautiful. She's the most out of, out of a magazine. I've never seen anything so beautiful in my life in front of me. And I want to look at her. And she's not dressed in any like particular way. She's in a black t-shirt and jeans. She's got a necklace. She's got a couple rings on. She's got like small, like stud earrings. Her hair is long, but it's kind of like up in a ponytail. She is not trying to look impressive right now. And she's nice and she's asking me questions. I don't recall a single one of them. I don't recall what I said. I recall fighting to keep eye contact with her, trying not to do anything weird, either look down at her chest or look off to the side or look down at my feet. And for 10 minutes, which felt like five hours, I just spoke to her and spoke to them. And then she had to go get about her day, which released me so I could flee to the house. That was the first time I met Dawn. Was she sort of the first, like, you said she had a car, so she was obviously older than you. Was she the first, like, sort of woman you ever felt this way for? Not just somebody, like, a little, like a kid you had in class, you know, like a woman. Excluding people who might be real people, but not real to me. Excluding people on TV or in movies or, or a, 
something out of a magazine. Yeah, it's this is the first person in real life or something that wasn't connected to a, a family member. I, th- you know, like there was a couple people that were friends of my family that were also beautiful people and I was shy about them, but it, it wasn't, you know, that was just like, it's a woman. I can't talk to the woman because it's, it's a woman, but it, it wasn't sort of like, oh, mom's friend Jeannie is like quite the looker. I like her. No, no, none of that. This is the first time where it was sort of like, oh my God, I'm now in this situation with this person. And it's not like that there was like, just like a grand awakening because of her. The idea that there would ever be any chance of anything in any way, shape or form with this woman and her IROC Z who works and, you know, I'm, you know, avoiding going to school. Like there's no, even with my imagination, there's no fantasy happening here. This is just, just like, oh my God, I just spoke to the most beautiful girl in the world. Did you find it easier to maybe just like wave when you saw her after that? Or was it like, nah, nah? What would happen after that is she would now say hi to me, which would force me to say hi to her. Um, This didn't happen too often because I didn't catch her that often, but every time I did, and then I would get pulled into the occasional conversations because even though they hadn't hit puberty and they were just kids, there are people that you recognize as being exceptionally attractive. Mm -hmm. And even as a child, you recognize there's something about this person this is why i know even though this is the fog of memory that she from like just a physical standpoint was an exceptionally attractive person it's rare to find somebody that attractive even more so when that person is kind or at least my estimation at that age because that's a judgment call i'm making thinking about it as a relatively young teenager who, who saw themselves as unattractive. I, I, I was stunned at how cool she was, how nice she was, because prior experience to people who looked like that were the popular kids and they sure as hell were not kind. Yeah, at that time. So despite her being this kind, beautiful soul, she did end up moving away. Did you I moved. Re- she didn't. Oh, move. you moved away. So did you yeah. ever replace her like in your heart or were you like holding on to maybe one day I will reunite with Dawn? No, because I like again, the it becoming something significant happened after the move. And that's where the real story is. Yeah, because for those wondering, Donja, she enters the room again. You get a job and do you, when you, you were at Tower Records and she comes in, did she like remember you? Because I feel like it would have been some time because you were a kid then, now you have a job. Some years have passed. So here's how that that goes down. And um, even though I know we were getting down a path that was a little deeper and darker and off topic to what it was, we we moved and we moved about, so I, I saw her on and off for several years and she was always nice, always kind. And while she definitely um, struck these chords with me, it was nothing that I ever considered as something that would be possible. So when I moved, when we finally did move, when I was just turning 18, 17, 18, she wasn't really a concern. I don't know that I'd seen her in a while because again, even now I'm hanging out with my friends, like I'm not, around when she's coming and going so it just sort of falls off the radar uh not that i'm meeting new girls i'm cripplingly shy when i'm meeting new girls i can't talk to them either what ends up happening is we move and we move about a mile away from 
this place which was called Bluegrass Road. And we move into this complex called Scotchbrook and we're in a townhouse now. I work at Tower Records and the Tower Records existed in the Northeast Mall. This is the mall that I lived right in front of. Now I live half a mile away from it because it was like about a half, half mile worth of mall. While I'm there, one day I'm going on break and I'm coming up the elevator. She's coming down and we just sort of look at each other for a moment and go by because we weren't expecting. And then I hear her yell my name and now she's coming up the elevator. She, she was going down. I was coming up because I worked like down. It was two levels and the top level was video and the bottom level was music where I worked. She was going down for music. I was coming up to go to lunch and she sees me. And she, oh my God, I haven't seen you. The first thing she does is she hugs me. Now I'm, I'm, I'm stunned. I'm, 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 I'm stunned. I'm surprised. And just, she, she, she gives me a hug and she says, oh my God, how are you doing? Now we're talking and I haven't seen you in a while. How are things going? And we have this conversation and then that was kind of it. I, I go off to lunch and, and that was it, you know, beyond like, oh, you work here. Great. Now maybe I'll see you around. And, and she, she, that, that was it. So that was fun and, and pleasant. Like she, she actually hugged me and in, in as much as, you know, you try not to have the, like, you try to keep these things in context. It was very much sort of like, oh my God, she touched me. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we've all been there. <laughs> and, and at 18, again, I, I can't stress how shy I was. Yes, I was in a band and I was playing out and I was meeting people and I was meeting girls whom I liked, but I didn't know how to talk to them. I found out later that most of these girls thought I was just asexual and I had no feelings because they apparently were throwing signals at me that I simply didn't respond to. I didn't know because the idea that somebody would be interested in me was alien. Why would somebody be interested in me? There's so many other attractive people to be interested in. Why would anyone want to be interested in me? Yeah, I was going to say, I do want to get to the sexual awakening aspect of Dawn. Uh, was it the attention from her that awoke something in you that made you feel that, yeah, maybe someone could and would want me in that way? Yes, though she made sure to let me know and then other people made sure to set me up for failure so um what ended up happening and this was the shock is the next day they had stuffed me in, in the classical music section because i was one of two people willing to be there i was perfectly fine to spend all day reading novels in the classical music section helping the four people who came in it was wonderful and i was on the, the night shift so i was there till midnight the next day she turns up, turns up in classical, and now she's just there talking to me for a long period of time. And again, she's really nice. I'm a little better than I was. So now like, I, I'm talking to her and she's taking moments to touch me, not explicit touching or anything, a touch on the arm, a touch on the thing. And yeah, every time she did, my heart skipped beats. Uh, I was probably flushed. The other thing that had happened is her coming in wasn't unnoticed. The entire record store noticed, including some of the guys who kind of used that record store as their own personal brothel and were very successful at getting girls and whatnot. So Dawn's now coming in almost nightly to talk to me. She's hanging out with me and we're having conversations and we're connecting. And I know that there's something here. This girl likes me. What do I do? What do I do? 
here is the most beautiful girl I've ever seen, still has I've ever seen in person. Five years later, she is still near perfect. You only see that on TV. And that's not her trying to look that way. She just does. She's never coming in dressed up. She's never lots of makeup, though she does wear a little bit of makeup, but it's, she's just beautiful and she's nice. I can't emphasize that enough. She is so nice and so caring and so what. She begins calling to see if I want, like if I need a drink or something. She wants to bring me drinks. Bruce, how are you messing this up? How I'm messing this up is I don't know how to bridge the gap. So one day, also around this period of time, I begin writing poetry just because, and like one day she takes my poetry, this poetry book that I've been working on and, and she takes it and she's reading it somewhere. So it's like, and she's at a nearby Dunkin' Donuts and actually on my lunch break because, oh my God, she took my, like, I didn't mean to give it to her. She asked me if she could read it. She took it and she went away. So on my lunch break, I sort of, like I go look, I'm, I'm looking around cause I like, she's got my poems and she's there reading my poems at Dunkin' Donuts crying to herself. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh my God, I'm touching her. One time she drives me home and I played bass for her and she's just leaning on me. And how I fuck it up is, sorry, mess it up. How I mess this up is I don't know how to make the move. There was nobody for me to talk to, to say, hey, there's this really cute girl who's really nice. I really like her. I've never had a girlfriend. Aside from a couple strange instances as a kid, I've never kissed a girl. What do I do? How do I... How do I do this? And there was no YouTube. There was no YouTube. There was no YouTube. There was no instructional. There was nothing. And the best that I could get was just occasional things, which were hyper aggressive, hyper in, in your face, confrontational or whatnot. And none of this stuff would be natural for me or what I have liked to do. If I could time travel back and if I could get a hold of this erstwhile young Bruce and sit him down and go like, all right, here's the information you need to know. Don't say anything. Don't make any grand gestures. If you're going to do anything, ask her to go to a movie with you or go shoot pole. Do that. Don't have a discussion. The next time she's leaning into you the way she's begun doing, don't go stiff like a board. Turn your body a little bit and let her lean in a little more and see if she does that. If she does that, lean your head in a little bit. See if she responds. Let the contact build. Make her laugh more than you do. If she's giving you open body language, open up your body language. Everything she's doing is she likes you. She likes you because you are not like every other guy she's encountered. And you can easily make something build here by not making a big deal of it, by not making a declaration about it, by not making a grandstand. All you need to do is when you're playing bass and she's leaning into you, see if her her head's getting closer to you, bring your head a little closer to her and see if she begins reacting. Then maybe in that moment, just kiss her. See if she does. If she doesn't, then you've misread the situation. But if she does, that's the start without you doing something stupid like you did. And what did you do? But what I did was, and not that I wanted to do it, what ended up happening is there was a guy at my work named Jim. As, as I said, one of these guys who was kind of using the place as his own personal brothel and doing pretty well with it. Jim was a handsome guy and Jim was smooth. Jim wanted her and mm. she was constantly not paying attention to Jim. In fact, one time he asked her out on a date and she simply asked him, where was I? Again, like 
crippling shy 280 pound kid even though at this point i weighed like 180 pounds and i was lifting weight with a friend and i was doing some like karate and and stuff like that i back on my head still 280 pound most beautiful woman i'd ever seen the 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 deepest crush in my heart the girl i could never have all of those things is what was going on in my mind as opposed to oh shit this girl likes you she's giving you all the signs Jim comes up to me and he was like, you need to ask her out. You need to tell her how you feel. You need to, the next, the first opportunity you can. He was like, cause I'm sick of being rejected by her. You need to get your ass on the ball. Cause everyone in here wants to date her and she wants you. So you need to do this. Okay. So now I've got my first thing that resembles a marching order. Every last bit of that is friggin' terrible. Aside from trying to make something happen, but it's tell her how you feel confront her with how you feel and you did that and i did that i let her know that i really liked her i've always liked her and that i don't just want to be her friend i want to be her boyfriend um i wasn't mean or cruel about it but i was direct about it oh so you think it's more about how you said it than what you yes Uh no no i think it's both i think (laughs) i think it's just i went from being me to being like Jim yeah, to being Jim and while I didn't say I wanted to insert my tab into your slot I, I think the implication was or certainly I would not fault her for reading the implication is I don't want this to just be nice and pleasant and warm and wonderful there must be a sexual component to this gosh darn it or else I'm not interested now I didn't say that but I would absolutely not blame her for for reading that into it. Cause I told her I didn't really want it to be friends. I wanted a boyfriend, girlfriend, and it doesn't really matter if in her heart, she would have loved to have gone out with me and had something more with me. The moment I said it like that, I I would think, and I don't know how she thinks, and I can never know how she thinks about this. I would think that what I did is I damaged all of the fact that I seemed to really care and I just became another one of those guys. I see, I see. But on on the flip side, I think she should have made a move too. I don't think we should have to wait for the guy to do it all. I feel like she was giving a lot of signals and maybe she should have did something on her part. Well, in fairness, I think when I'm playing a bass and she's gently swaying and she's like, she's draped across my shoulder, I think she's making the move. I think she has made enough. I think in that instance, that was that was a fairly telling move. I think the fact that there were times where there was one time when she came in, she wrapped her arm like she she'd wrapped her arms around me and her head was laying on my back. And I stood there frozen. I didn't know what to do. You know, I could have turned around and I could have said something cute or charming. That was a big signal of something so big that even me in that moment recognized it for something like that. Just, I didn't have the capacity or know what to do with it. And I feel bad about all this, not just because I didn't get the opportunity to insert the tab. (laughs) Well, not so much, not so much that though, you know, God, that would have been, that would have been a first experience to remember on your deathbed. But the, the whole idea is she was somebody whom I recognized as not only being the most, as I keep saying, most beautiful person that I've ever seen in person. 
even now living in in, in Hollywood I, and I meet lots of beautiful people. I live in freaking beautiful people central, but not like she was. And part of that might be the fog of memory. And part of that might be because ultimately at her core, beyond her looks, she was truly a really good person. She was a really nice person. She was a smart person. And I, I would probably believe that she didn't have the greatest experiences with a lot of guys. Uh, and I became another one in the long line of that. And I'm really sad that of all the people in the world, I, I would have done something to create, to do that for that she would have been that. I would have rather, you know, looking back, if I'd gone in for a kiss and she turned her head and she's like, oh, wait a minute, sailor. That would have been infinitely better than me basically saying of her, I don't want to be your friend unless I'm your boyfriend, which I don't know that I said that exactly like that, but whatever I said was close enough for rock and roll. So while that didn't work out, did that whole experience help you in the future with women? Maybe not at the time, but maybe a few years down the line. It did a couple things for me. The first thing it did is it highlighted to me that I am so out of my depth that if I don't figure something out, this is going to be what my life is. I, I, I was able to recognize that whatever didn't happen with her, that was my fault. And the fact that even though I was in a, a band and I was funny and people liked me. I didn't seem to have any girls interested in me. And I also, and I didn't think that was like, oh, am I a nice guy? And I mean that in like the old style sense, not the new sense where like people are being nice to girls in hopes of getting in their pants. I intuitively knew that there was something about the way I was behaving that was giving off the wrong vibes. And I needed to figure that out and fix that. And I also, it, it did make me feel it was like, well, I thought I was ugly because of things that happened in my childhood and the friends I eventually made viewed themselves as ugly. A lot of them were, sadly, but I viewed myself in that box. And if she could, sh even with the failure that it was, if this girl could see me as worthwhile, and I don't mean worthwhile and I could provide something for her, that I was worth knowing and worth being around, I couldn't be as ugly and horrible as I think I am. Something's wrong and it's wrong with me and I need to fix that. So it started a little bit of a journey on that. And then that kind of led to also through Tower Records, another buddy, I ran into another buddy named Steve, who I knew when I was in my uh, early teens and Steve was like six foot tall and he was handsome, but I would watch him interact with people. And I noticed that despite his looks, when he was on point, he was funny and likable. And when he was when he was having an off day, nobody would even talk to him. And that made me go, okay, I know looks matter, but personality seems to play a part. What if I try to be like Steve a little bit? And that helped. So ultimately, the memory of it did play a part in me going like, okay, if I'm being funny, if I'm being irreverent, if I'm being clever and if I'm also not being highly aggressive, but while still showing an interest that isn't just like, I think you're nice, <laughs> I, I can make things happen. And of course, what eventually ended up happening is I got into a relationship fairly quickly on once girls began responding. And then I was in that relationship for a while. And then out of that one, almost immediately into another long-term relationship. And I was a serial monogamist for a while before doing a bunch of actual dating and then finally meeting the girl I ended up with. But she was the first example that I probably was not 
nearly as ugly as I thought I was, and I probably am more attractive, which is a different skill than just not being ugly, than I'm giving myself credit for. And for that, you have to be grateful for the dawn experience, even though it didn't work out quite like you wanted. But if you could go back in time and give off some good vibes and the talk with Dawn went a little better, what were you planning for like your first date? Oh, there was no plan for a first date. (laughs) Again, I I think, uh, honestly, considering the amount of time we just had spent at Tower Records talking. We had plenty of dates. Yeah, I mean, ultimately we did. I, I think it probably would have been going to the movies or going to you know unfortunately my mind stops at going to the movies or maybe going to see some music she also was into various hard rock bands so that that wouldn't have been too challenging something along those lines i have no recollection of her having any particular interest or desire towards alcohol but of course I had none. I never did. So that wasn't a factor. Honestly, under the circumstance, chances are the first day just would have been a makeout session <laughs> because it just would have been born out of if some things went different, probably we just probably would have just began like kissing and petting that because the circumstances for that were what kind of presented themselves. Just I couldn't take advantage of them because I didn't know how to take advantage of them. I just knew there might have been a possibility that I was not taking that I didn't know how to confront. I just want to say, Don, if you are out there, I do want to say to you, I cannot tell you how sorry I am that how I approached this happened. And I truly liked you, like not just from a sexual standpoint, but I thought you were an incredibly awesome person. And I hope that whatever your life turned out to be, that it was good because that's what you deserved. Well, I think we've talked enough about Dawn, and I do want to talk a little bit more about you. Ooh, me. Now, when did you start, like, when did you decide to take your fitness journey and turn it into a podcast? That happened about half a year ago. Just a really, really, now I I know how verbose I am because I love the sound of my voice, but uh, the, the quick wherewithal of it is it's been a roller coaster all of my life, but I'm basically in my early 20s hit the 30 pounds that I existed in most of my time, which is somewhere between 210 and 180. And that was that was fine. I moved out to California to try to pursue a career in acting and producing and just ended up doing IT work, which I hated. At some point, I got a job working with a company that I liked the company, but I had a middle manager person who frustrated me to no end. And I truly never liked computers. I began eating my pain away. And somehow by 2015, I'd managed to get my weight back up to about 270 pounds. And that was the start of my first fitness journey, which took me into about 2018, 2019, just pre-pandemic, where I decided I wanted to lose weight. So I decided to exercise by joining a stunt class so I could learn how to, yeah, fake fight, fake falls, you know, for my size, I can move. And that journey lasted me up to the pandemic. And by the time the pandemic began kicking into full gear, I dropped under 180 pounds. 
At this point, I was working out maybe five, six days a week for three hours a day. I was on keto. I would do long-term fasts while working out like this, while like walking 10 miles a day. All to no, like no ill effect, I could do that. Then the pandemic hit. And then uh, there was a family situation that wasn't too pleasant. And then my health failed and I got this really horrible allergic reaction that lasted almost a year that was daily and almost sanity sapping. By the time that cooled, by the time that became controllable, we're now at the summer of 2021 and I'm back up to 260. And what happened is I got a phone call from the owner of the gym I used to go to, a guy named Eric Fleischman, Eric the trainer. One of my biggest supporters, biggest fans, love the guy. Eric calls me up, he's like, dude, haven't seen you around. And he calls me up, I start crying on the phone. I'm like, I'm sorry, I just can't. Like, I, I couldn't face you. It's just, it was like, come in tomorrow, come in tomorrow. But I don't, I don't have money to train. It's like, you just come in tomorrow. And so we have a session. And he take, the first, looks at me, he was like, first thing I'm gonna tell you is it's not that bad. You think it's worse than it is. It's like, we can work with this. And I can't afford to go back to this gym. I can't afford the train. And out of it, somebody suggested, it was like, you know, beforehand, when you lost all that weight and got into shape, you should have been documenting that. Do that. Like, make a show about it. I was like, okay, I can do that. And that was the germination of the Fittest Fat Kid. And the idea for the Fittest Fat Kid was to have a place where I would go and talk about what I'm doing and hold myself accountable. Of course, having a show where as much as I love to talk about myself and I do love to talk about myself, having a show all about just talking about me, nobody else is going to be interested. So the question became, how do I make this useful to other people? And that's where the idea came from. And originally I had a co-host, but that didn't quite work out. And now it's become kind of, the shows varies from week to week about whether like your husband, somebody's fitness journey and with their various health and mental issues to, here's this personal trainer, here's his advice, here's this guy who trained people in the military, here's a SWAT officer, how does he deal with the pressures of his job? And that's where the fittest fat kid came out of. Are you ever going to do one on gym teachers and the hell they put fat kids through? Because there is a topic, there is a rabbit hole there, because every time I run the mile and I do it in the time that you could, that was like for girls to pass when I was younger, I think, screw you, Miss Brubaker, screw you. It is a really good topic. I need somebody who could talk on it more than me, because uh, while my experiences were actually up until junior high school, which was horrible for me, and I actually quit school in junior high school completely. So I didn't have the high school experience, so I missed that. And I didn't have a lot of the middle school experience because our middle school really didn't hit us with too much gym time. And the one time they did, they just simply didn't believe that I had asthma and made me run that mile and I needed to go to the hospital. So th there was that, but it wasn't a bullying experience. In grammar school, I had Mr. K, and Mr. K was incredibly understanding and supportive. I have balance issues. And Mr. K, I, when I got to grammar school and I was in like first grade, second grade, Mr. K called up my mom and he said to her, you know, I noticed that Bruce has balance issues. And she was like, yes, he'll never be able to ride a bike. And he said to her, well, here's why I'm calling. I would like for you to give me permission to work with Bruce. If you let me work with Bruce, I guarantee you he'll be able to ride a bike. And what I'm asking is that I, instead of him having recess for the first 
period of recess, let me take them. Let me have them. Let me work with them. And Mr. K, she gave permission for that. He came up to me and was like, I spoke to your mom. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend about 15 minutes working on balance beams. And you're not going to like it. And that's okay. But you're going to do it. And I'll be here to help you. And I'll be here. It's like, I'm not going to not let you do it. But I understand if you're frustrated. And that's what we did. And because of Mr. K, I could ride a bike. Otherwise, I never would have been able to. Shout out. Shout out, Mr. K. I think elementary school is cool for PE because for our school, we only did it for a few months out of the year. Then we did music and art. But it was in high school. They kind of just were like, as long as you change, you're going to get you're going to pass. But middle school, it was like boot camp. I remember our science class could see out into like the, the fields and everything. And me and all my friends, we were larger girls and we would just be looking out the window like, what are we doing today? And if we saw kids up on the track, our stomachs would start to turn because we knew it all were like it's the mile today no no it's torture then i hated middle school they used to make us do push-ups on like a rickety table in front of the whole class oh god i remember that for the for the standardized testing yes i i think i think i was fortunate in what i can remember from middle school before leaving because i left at the after sixth grade was we basically pretended to professional wrestle. There's nothing about me that's normal. So as an 11 year old, I was literally the exact same height I am now, which is 5'8". And even though I was like a big kid and I was going to get to 280 pounds, I was also strong. So we would wrestle and I could throw people around. So that was cool. <laughs> and it kind of left us to do that for long periods and I don't and I'm not sure if I'm just rem- like forgetting large gaps of me not being able to climb a rope because I know there were certainly gaps of me not being able to climb a rope but I don't know that they cared that much my middle school was sort of a, effectively a little bit of a Lord of the Flies situation <laughs> which is part of the reason why I left it so you just don't do the fittest that could you know though you also have fails Falls and F-ups coming up. Like, what's that one going to be about? That one, that one was born directly. There's an episode of Fittest Fat Kid, and it's my episode 19. I can almost taste that Emmy with a guy named Barry Coffing, who is a almost but not quite Emmy award-winning songwriter because he didn't get the Emmy for a song that I'm sure meant a lot to you. How do you talk to an angel from the heights? Ooh. Meant, <laughs> yep, he wrote that, and he didn't get the Emmy. But the fact that he was nominated for an Emmy kept that show on the air. Somehow I encountered him. And where I encountered him, he began talking about his failures. I was like, oh, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you. Because I have a fascination with failure. I, I feel a lot of my friends don't do things out of fear of failure where I'm not afraid to fail. So we have this wonderful episode. And somebody wanted me to do a music podcast connected to their promotion thing that I'm now not involved in in any way, shape, or form. But he wanted me to do this music podcast, and I was talking to Barry a week after I did this interview with him, and I was like, he wants me to do this music podcast. I don't know what my music podcast would be. Barry was like, what are you talking about? Your music podcast would be what you did to me. But there's no music on that. He was like, you don't need to have music. Plus, you don't have to deal with the clearances. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, it was like, nobody interviews people like that. Nobody asks those questions. Do that. Great. What would you call it? Me? I'd call it fails, falls, and fuck-ups. Great! I love that! Um, or the clean take on that. I'd call it fails, falls, and F-ups. Great! 
I'll do that. So I got like a a backdoor pilot, if you will. (laughs) It was a backdoor pilot. And of course I go, I've been going to this celebrity gym. I have several people in my life whom I don't know how they got there. Aside from the fact I was at this gym, they like me because they find me incredibly funny. One of my biggest fans for my short films is the bass player of Nickelback. And he lives in my neighborhood. When my car, when somebody stole my car keys accidentally, he drove us home so we could get spare keys and drove us back. So the idea of talking to people about mistakes and failures and how it helped them grow and change seems like an awesome thing to do. And I'm, I mean, I'm sure there's other podcasts that do it, but I want to have something that has an irreverent tone because with the fittest fat kid, I can be so irreverent, but I have to be respectful of the topics I'm talking about. I can't, your, the episode I recorded that was just released this week with your husband, you know, was more of an irreverent tone for fittest fat kid than I normally go to because your husband's used to talking in that way. And, and it was, there was moments of for levity, but the week beforehand, I'm talking to a SWAT officer about how to emotionally prepare himself for when he sees a dead child because they didn't get there in time can't take that with a note of levity because there is none fails falls and fuck ups i can take as silly as i want to so my very first episode is going to be called nickelback sucks with mike kroger of nickelback (laughs) because i literally sit him down in my living room and i launch it by going if we can all agree on anything it's that nickelback sucks and then i cut immediately to him with him going yeah i yeah, I guess it, I guess we can. Yeah. And then we talk about it, how that happens. How do you get to it? I've interviewed, I interviewed Barry again. I interviewed another neighbor who's uh, the guy who created Golden Girls and Gilmore Girls about various failures he's encountered. He doesn't like to use the word failure and that he, he his whole thing is you need to reframe things as successes. Cool. It, and it's all just about when you're looking at a success, oftentimes what you're looking at, uh, this success is built on a scaffolding of mistakes made, problems occurring, and just things not going right. Very few things in life are zero sum. And I want to talk about that. And I want to talk about it in a very in-your-face silly way. So if you could talk about yourself a little bit more and tell us where we can find you online, that'd be great. Boy, could I. Uh, (laughs) So first off, if this if this hint hadn't been dropped a couple times already, you can find me at my currently existing podcast, The Fittest. The podcast is called The Fittest Fat Kid. You know, you can find it on Apple, Spotify, basically all the distribution sites, and you can find the video of it on YouTube. I have a website which is www.fittestfatkid.com. I just crossed the bare minimum YouTube you need so now my youtube channel is not that weird ass like eighty thousand name (laughs) but it is in fact let me i'm actually clicking on it just to make sure that i know exactly what it is but it's just my name it is just my name youtube or yep bruce naxon if you search for bruce naxon my channel should come up and my short films are there all of my podcast episodes are there and some various other things as well. And I would deeply appreciate people subscribing and watching stuff. 
it would be nice to get this moving. I have a Facebook page, not only for Fittest Fat Kid, which is Fittest Fat Kid, but also for myself, you can find me there. You can find me on the socials at either Fittest Fat Kid. At most of them, I think on TikTok, I'm either Fittest Fat Kid or I'm Bruce Naxon. On Instagram, I have three (laughs) Instagrams. One is the Fittest Fat Kid, which is the podcast related. There's my big guy, small dog, which is sort of my catch-all, which is dog rescue work I've done, short film things, more posts about my dogs because I just post about my dogs and and various stuff like that, models I've built and interests I have. And then there's my dog's, my one dog's personal, personal for him because he demanded it, <laughs> Mikey Agent of Chaos, and that's spelled with a K because we go old school with our chaos and that's pictures of Mikey and, and his sister, but mostly Mikey because he's the cutest, most insane dog there is. And I, yeah, I think that's a lot of various places. You can find me in lots of different ways. It'll be about, I'm shooting for April 1st for the first episode of fails, falls and F ups, which will be, again, I'll have that distributed through Apple, Spotify, all of those distribution channels, as well as YouTube. I actually just got my introduction made for that. So I'm very happy about that. And if you want to email me, you can email me at me at brucenaxon.com or alternatively, you can email me at hi there at fittestfatkid.com. Well, everyone reach out, especially, hey, if you have a story about a freaking hell that is PE teachers, let them know. And Bruce. And yeah, and actually if, if somebody out there is listening and they've had a fitness journey like, you know, not necessarily as extreme as your husband's, which was a 400 pound, which was a weight loss from 400 pounds to human size. And then to immediately take that into leukemia, because why not? I know. You know, because I'm, of life. Yeah, because of life, life and life and the way it likes to inflict itself on all of you. But if you've got a story, if you are involved in the fitness industry, if you've got a point of view on it and you want to talk to somebody about it, talk to me. I need guests as much as anybody. (laughs) Well, Bruce, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today about your sexual awakening crush. And everybody, you can find all of his information below. And until next time, keep crushing it.